You are listening to The Lockdown Sessions, a Bay City Church series presented from our living room to yours during the COVID-19 quarantine. For more audio and video content, visit baycity.church. You know, many of us have too small of a Jesus. Too small of a Jesus. Now, I became a Christian in college. Many of you know my story, but uh, some of the, the churches I went to, the friends I met, I just, before I was a Christian, I couldn't get on board with Jesus. I just really couldn't. It wasn't something that was interesting to me. Why? Well, because Jesus was often painted as a, a guy who is my buddy, my friend. In fact, there was a song like that went, Jesus is my buddy. And I just felt like I, I have buddies. I don't need more buddies. You know, I have a friend named Jesus, you know, like, one of my best friends from high school. That's my buddy. I don't need Jesus. I already have Jesus. What do I need more buddies for? But it wasn't until I got to college that I really got to experience just how powerful Jesus was, how powerful of a God he was, that I actually started to go, you know what? This is the sort of God that I want to be a part of, that I want to worship. And many of us are fearful in this time. We're afraid in this time. We're nervous in this time. We're scared. The present crisis, coronavirus, though, I think for many of us, can actually be a chance to show off the size of our God, to see how just how big he is. Now, maybe over the last few months or years, you've been presenting Jesus to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. You've been saying, hey, this Jesus guy, he's special. He's important. You should follow him. You should come to my church and hear my pastor talk about him. You should come to my city group. You should come to or watch this video clip and hear about this guy. But I'll tell you what, as the tide goes out and we get to see kind of all of these other sort of things that we've worshipped in culture kind of go away. The, the Instagram models have no, are no longer able to travel to get photos, to be worshipped. That's going away. We don't have that opportunity. The concerts of the artists are no longer taking place. We have no new music. Movies are being delayed. We can't worship our movie stars. All of these things are going away. And yet the immovable, unshakable God comes to the forefront. God is going to look so much bigger in a culture like this. And this is why we need to know just how big of a God we have. You see, our coming king will reign. And that's what Psalm 110 is about. Psalm 110 is about the exaltation of a mighty good King Jesus. Now, a lot of people haven't thought super highly of this God, especially throughout history. Look, here's a quote from Thomas Jefferson in a letter to John Adams. He says this, The day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus, by the supreme being as his father in the womb of a virgin, will be classified with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. Now, that's a bunch of old-timey talk to say that God isn't really worth anything. He's not even as, as uh, real as SpongeBob SquarePants, right? That's essentially what he is saying here. But this sort of talk isn't just talk you hear from people 400 years ago. This is talk you hear in your universities. If you go to San Francisco State or USF or any university in the country, you're going to hear your psychology professor, your communications professor, your liberal arts professor say basically the same thing Thomas Jefferson just said about Jesus. Jesus is not respected. He's not, he's not exalted. And he is not even believed as being real. Well, the present crisis is going to demonstrate just what spiritual means are actually sufficient for this day. 
we've identified this. San Francisco is not an atheistic place. Many people think it is, actually. But actually, more people believe in UFOs in the United States than they, than they believe that there is no actual spirituality. So more people believe in aliens than they do that, that the world is dualistic, that there's just nothing exists outside of, outside of what we can see. So people are spiritual here in our city. More people, we were talking about this in our city group, people are going to tarot card readings now. Um, they're going to sound baths, yoga studios, and they're worshiping, looking for new age means to connect to an old God. They're experimenting and merging gods, uh, gods together and worldviews together to create a spirituality for themselves. Horoscopes are absolutely huge, and people actually don't just read them for fun. They believe in these horoscopes. Even things like seances, communicating with the dead, are popular. Now... Like if you would have said that 20, 30 years ago, people would have thought you would have turned over and laughed at you. But there are now Instagram pages that are dedicated to selling candles for seances. That you cannot make this stuff up. Our world is incredibly spiritual. It desperately wants a spirituality. It wants to connect with something spiritual. We need to be able to give them the real. We need to be able to give them the real, true God and give them the real power they seek. Because as the spiritual tide goes out, as people realize their seances and tarot card readings and a Wiccan uh, spirituality actually has no power, a good sovereign king is going to step in its place and discover that it actually is incredibly powerful. So Psalm 110, the most exalted prophetic portion, one of the most exalted prophetic portions of scripture presents Jesus as both this holy king and a royal priest, something that no human has ever attained and certainly no spiritual being has ever attained, just Jesus. First thing we learn in Psalm 110, Jesus is predicted as the son of God and God himself. Verse one, the Lord, all capitals, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, this is David writing this psalm. He has no idea. He's just prophetically writing this. Normally, he's a songwriter, but today, he's also a prophet. It says, the Lord says to who? My Lord. Now, that's weird, right? Is he talking to himself? Eddie says to my Eddie, right? That's what it sounds like, but that's actually not what's happening here. You see, when you read your Bible, I'm in the English Standard Version, and you read it, and it says, the Lord in all caps. That word right there means Yahweh. Right, we don't. We that's our way of writing it. We write it in all caps. So this is like God saying to my Lord, right, to the prophet, to Jesus. The Lord God says to Jesus, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool." This right here is a divine invitation given from God to the Son to reign over creation, and this is fulfilled when Jesus dies on the cross resurrects three days later as a perfect human being conquering Satan, sin, death, in hell, and all fell swoop. And then he ascends after spending some time with his disciples. And God, uh, the, the Father, then looks at the Son and says, have a seat and reign in creation. I'm about to make your enemies a footstool. Powerful moment. Look at uh, this text with me. Uh, it's right here in Matthew chapter 22. It says this, now, when the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. He's talking, to the, he's talking to the Pharisees, Jesus, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David? He said to them, how is it then David, in the spirit, 
calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he son? So here's Jesus then, then confirming what David is writing, that God right here is not talking to David in this prophecy in Psalm chapter 10. Rather, uh, God is talking to Jesus himself. Powerful moment. We learn that Jesus predicted the Son of God and God himself. We also learn this. Jesus is actually our king. He's our king. And he says, I will make your enemies a footstool. Now, a footstool was an ancient Near Eastern picture of absolute victory. So imagine him sitting up, putting his feet up. That's a, a, a visualization for winning a spiritual battle. First Chronicles 17, verse 11. It's going to be on your screen. It says this. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And I will take my steadfast love from him as I took from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So what's happening right here is we're seeing a, another prophecy in the book of Chronicles where God is talking about the offspring of Israel, the offspring of Abraham coming and establishing his kingdom forever. Jesus is king, not a physical king as the Jews expected to come, but a, a spiritual king that would rule not on just on earth, but in the heavenly realms. What else do we learn? We learn Jesus is the royal priest. He's our priest. He's not just a king. Verse 4 says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm going to explain that in a second. But what were the functions of a priest in the Old Testament? Two main ones I'm going to explain. The first is that priests sacrifice. You see, they had to make a sacrifice, right? So in the Old Testament, they would find an old, a spotless animal, and they would slaughter that animal on the altar shedding its blood, and then making an, uh, an offer up to God. And that would be something that God would be pleasing to him, and that would atone for the sins. The second thing that priest did was they mediated. They sat in the middle, and they mediated between God and between man. And they were essentially this sort of middleman in between. Jesus is our Melchizedek priest. Jesus is the mediator on our behalf. He talks to God for us. It is through Jesus that we have access to God the Father. But Jesus is also our sacrifice. Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice. You see, instead of just a priest making a sacrifice of a lamb and slaughtering that, Jesus is the lamb. He was the one offered up for us to atone for our sins. With regular priests, the sacrifice is temporary but with Jesus, the sacrifice is eternal. You see, regular priests are going to have to sacrifice over and over and over again to atone for our sins. But Jesus gets to die once and for all, past, present, and future sins. I don't know where you're at today. You may feel like a broken person. You may feel like you're perfect. Either way, you've sinned. You've fallen short of God's perfect standard. For those that believe in Jesus, your sins are covered in his blood as our sacrifice. If you do not believe in Jesus, your sins are not covered and you pay for your sins yourself. That's the message. And if, hey, that sounds frank to you, that's because the Bible's frank. The Bible doesn't shy away. People say the gospel is offense because uh, the gospel is an offense. It's offensive. 
It's, it's dangerous. It offends people that are not uh, friends of God. It does. And I'm just going to say this to you. In our current cultural climate, our frankness, we're going to have to be more honest about what we're saying. We're not going to be able to tiptoe around the gospel any longer in, in, the way, in the days that are coming ahead. We're going to have to be more obvious and truthful. And so let me just say this to you. If you're watching this and you are not a Christian, uh, God loves you. He wants you in his family. But if you do not want the love of God, then you will ultimately have to pay for your own mistakes. And for those of you that are Christians but are just struggling with believing that God would do that for you, I have something to say to you. Jesus loves you, and his blood shed on the cross was for you. So who gets the love and the blood of Jesus on them that covers their sins? Anybody who wants it. Do you want that today? You can have it. If you do not, then you will have to pay uh, the penalty for your sins when you stand before God at the end. He's our royal priest. But Jesus also has an army. It says that right here in verse 2. Look at The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. The people of God are God's spiritual army that are going out into the fields to make more disciples. And this idea of a scepter is this ancient Near Eastern picture of a king and an, uh, a ruler ruling from his throne and directing his army. We can win people over as God's army by blessing and proclaiming Jesus as our king. We have that ability. The next thing, Jesus has an army, but his army will not fail. You see, the crazy thing about being on God's team is we already know the outcome, right? And then this is not like the Golden State Warriors of past where we thought, hey, we know what's going to happen. Steph Curry and the team is going to win. It's not that easy. It's even more likely that we win because we already know the outcome of this. Verse 1, remember, it said that God is going to make Jesus' enemies his footstool under him, a powerful and picture of absolute victory. And then we see in verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Any kings that step up to God will be brought down. Verse 16, he will, or verse 6 rather, he will execute judgment among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. Now, whoa, that is intense. I understand what you're saying. But ultimately, this is a spiritual battle where there are enemies of God, people that do not want what God wants, and they want to instead fulfill other ideologies, other spiritual practices in and get you to believe those instead. And that's where we get our modern versions of Insta tarot card readings and IG seances and sound baths and all of these other worldviews that are coming and penetrating, trying to battle you for your soul. There is no more time to beat around the bush, friends. Even things on social media can lead you astray spiritually. And quite honestly, the, the enemy is getting less, is, is having to hide his practices even less today. He can just be obvious. This is a spiritual demon class. Come take it. This is a spiritual tarot card reading. Come do it. And he's just being obvious because people are falling for it. We must be the army of God, but we also know that the army of God will not fail. And at the end of the day, Jesus is going to win. Here's the bizarre thing, because now we're seeing God as this, this weird military army. Verse 7 says this, He will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. See, Jesus doesn't reign like an earthly king. Jesus is the ultimate humble priest king. 
Jesus crushes enemies, but then he drinks from a brook like a calm lamb. Jesus is tough, but Jesus is also tender. He is our king and he is our priest. His mere preaching and miracles and his way he lives his life push back darkness. Jesus doesn't have to pull out a gun or a spear to get his enemies. He just merely has to open his mouth. That's the power of our king. A Puritans had an old uh, proverb that says, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. All God has to do is speak with the same loving, kindness, and tenderness he does to his people as he does to his enemies, and his enemies get even more angry. And he wins a spiritual battle with his calmness and with his peace. And blood is shed, spiritual blood is shed, but he does it in a way that is tough and tender. Friends, this is the God who is in control of your world. Jesus has been painted as a, a humble peasant who has very little power, who is your buddy, who is your friend. Our God is not that God. While God is your father and he does love you and he is tough and tender, he also rules with a sovereign hand. And this is good news for us. You see, in a climate like this, we can be afraid. We don't know what's coming next. The news reports are fearful. We just, it, it just turning on the news scares the living daylights out of us. But when we have a God like this, even in the midst of spiritual crisis, economic and financial crisis that may be coming, we can stand firm knowing we have a good God who will love us and protect us. And for those in Jesus, we have all the confidence in the world. So I'll close on a frank note. My friends here that don't know Jesus, you need him. Your seances, your tarot card readings, your uh, sound baths, your own uh, mashup of your professors from college, your uh, master's level programming, your uh, Instagram feed, your YouTube channel, uh, the books that you've read, all of the books that you've read, you've put them all together and you've created a worldview. Your worldview is going to fail. The only worldview that will suffice is the one that comes from this. A Bible that has lasted 6,000 years, 7,000 plus years of history that has never been torn down from its pedestal, despite, and that's not for a lack of trying. You can find a number of documentaries that are gonna to try to tear down the Bible, none have done so. This world is, this world, this word rather, proves true. The Bible says that every word that proves from the mouth of God proves true. Everything that flows from his mouth. I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, test him. Go experience him. Read the Bible, you're locked up anyway. Read the book of John, read Psalm 110, and discover who Jesus is, and let him reveal himself to you. And I believe that over the course of that time, you're going to grow in your wisdom, and you're going to learn something about Jesus, and he just might call you into his family. Let's pray.